you never know what would have happened had I disobeyed. Hmm. You just don't know. Hmm. Um, and so I think, is there anything you can do to the generation coming up? Yeah, I think as they did in the in the um, biblical Old Testament times, especially shared the stories than what God had done. And we, we are, I think, in our generation, distinctly bad at that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just sharing the Old Testament, it's sharing the the now testament ones. Welcome to Raising Standards today and today we are talking with somebody who I've known since I was a young child. He was my dentist growing up. Um, my dad knew him as his godfather. They're similar ages but when my dad came to the Lord um, this man had a great role, very influential in discipling him in the things of the Lord and many other people know him as one of the great grandchildren of a man called Smith Wigglesworth. Today we're going to be speaking with Henry Fardell. Henry, very, very, very special welcome to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Sorry, great to be here. Yeah. You have got the most amazing heritage, which I, I um, knew you mainly because you'd stick your fingers in my mouth and root around, check if I had any fillings. Um, so you were a dentist by profession, but you've mm -hmm. got this amazingly rich heritage. Uh, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up. Did you know this amazing heritage that you had from when you were young? The answer is yes and no. My parents didn't overplay it in any way. Um, but I can remember sitting on the sofa with all these people who I now realise were pioneer missionaries and uh, part of Smith Wigglesworth's family. I remember his daughter, my Aunt Alice. And uh, she would sit there with a huge hearing aid, rather like a, a um, anyway, it was a massive thing um, in, in her, uh, uh, off her shoulder here. And because, um, of course, she was deaf. And that was one of Smith Wigglesworth's problems. You know, he, he 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 took her around, and obviously there's lots of healings of people who are deaf, but not hers, not his daughter. And um, pioneer missionaries like Jimmy Salter, um, my uncle and aunts who who were pioneers. Yeah, amazing. I just didn't realize the value of what I was there, and I was just listening and fascinated. I always wanted to be in the room with them, but I hadn't got any conviction for myself. It was just fascinating to see them. What kind of things was, was the conversation often centered on the Lord or did they oh, talk yes. about normal things like what are we eating for supper and how was your trip? I can't remember any of that. It was what God was doing. In fact, I think you were asking me about my influences uh, in, in life. But again, listening to my dad with his um, fellow ministers um, in the Elim Church, and he basically was sharing what God was doing all the time. And I thought, OK, you know, there's the theological bit, but then there's the practical, um, you know, God in you. bit. Yeah. So when did you first meet the Lord for yourself? Mm -mm. At the age of six. I remember logically, again, I, I tend to do things through deduction. Uh, and I just thought, well, if Jesus did die for me, I mean, it's, it's wrong to not to be grateful and to say thank you and to commit my life to him. But it wasn't done in any intelligent way. And it wasn't done with any, um, um, you know, remorse for sin or anything like that, because I don't think I'd done that. This may come up later in the conversation because uh, it ended up with me one day running away from the police. And um, it was at a party where Paul McCartney's cousin was, but we'll come into that later. And <laughs> so anyway, basically, um, 
I, I, I didn't. I hadn't robbed a bank. You can't. You can't drag a, a carrot of Paul McCartney's cousin oh, and running away from the police. I, I'm feeling the drama of the moment, and I now need to know what actually took place. But seriously, that was one of my um, um, revealing moments. So what happened was that um, <laughs> um, I had uh, met a girlfriend whose father was a county cricketer for Lancashire. And um, she was one of these stunning ladies who used to walk through the refectory at the college and everybody's eyes would turn. I thought, dare I invite her out? And she said, yes. Anyway, basically, we were at a party and I wasn't drinking underage or anything like that, but other people were. And it was a, happened to be next door to my own home. And so I snuck around and, and so on. So anyway, the police came because the whole of the major road outside was blocked. And um, what happened was that um, um, they, they said, right, anybody here, you know, we know some of you here are, are underage and some we're going to, you know, whatever, report you. I felt a heel, but I just knew my parents would be so upset. So I ran and I said to this girl, do you mind me? I have to go. And I felt so bad. Hmm. Anyway, I ran out into the evening and then suddenly realized my jacket was in the house and they'd find my wallet and I'd be identified. Oh, dear, oh dear. And as I say, Paul McCartney's cousin was um, was it was one of her friends was having the party. And um, so I vowed to if there is a God, if I got back in the house, I would then go back out and get my wallet and go back out. I'd rethink things because I knew that in, in France, the, the age of drinking was different. It's, it's not a moral issue. It's a mm. social issue in our country. And that's fine. It's like driving on the right side of the road. You can't choose. You know, you, you've got to do it conforming. And then I looked up at the moon and it's a beautiful round moon. And I thought, gosh, you know, if I saw a pebble on the beach as round as that moon, I'd show everybody. And it's not just the moon that's round. There's a load of other planets around as well. And I know you can argue that if they're not perfect, to me, they are round. And I would show people. And I thought, well, it doesn't mean to say that God did make them, but it's pretty good. Okay. And then I went through all this. I went then. I thought, well, Jesus was a Jew. And I don't want to come into to Christianity through uh, just through Jesus. I, I wanted to come in through Judaism because um, I, I reckon that, well, in the Old Testament, um, the Jews had their prayers answered. But I was taught there's only through Jesus are your prayers answered. Yeah. And so I thought, well, hang on, did, did they stop being answered when Jesus was born to the Jews? Did they stop being answered when he lived or died? Or is it, are they still being answered? And it, it wasn't a popular view. And I used to go to the synagogue and so on. And uh, basically, the synagogue didn't do anything for me at all. But then I had to work and out. How old, so how old were was, you around this time? About 16, 17. And your dad was still a pastor at this time? No, he'd retired. Yeah. Yeah. So what did he think of his son? Was it just nice? Everything's comfortable. You're OK. Or was no, there... um, they, they, they never interfered, which is quite interesting for your subject, you know, with the uh, youngsters. Um, yeah. They were very faithful, extremely faithful, mm. loving. And they gave me quite a long leash. Um, I, I do think I, I, I respected them because dad was um, quite old when I was conceived. Um, he was 48 when I was conceived. So, you know, uh, and they gave up a lot for me. Um, if ever I wanted a new new tire on my bicycle, they would give me that. But otherwise, we hadn't got much money spare. So anyway, basically, I, I, I worked out that if Jesus did die for the world, OK, but still, 
as I said, I haven't robbed a bank. I hadn't raped anybody. I hadn't murdered anybody. But I do remember that I had stolen a, a, an eraser rubber from a friend at school once, nicked that. And I thought, well, I'm sure a bank robber doesn't start with a bank. Yeah. And okay, I'd had you know, lustful thoughts. Yeah, I'm sure a rapist doesn't start with a rape. Mm. I'm sure a murderer doesn't start with murder as his first angry thing. Mm. And I thought, well, I'm not so stupid as to wait until I feel guilty to realize what Jesus has done for me. Wow. The seed of sin was there. Am I going to plant it or not? Wow. You know? So it's just a logical deduction. And that and that that convinced me. I, I don't need to, I didn't need to rob a bank. But I I I and I thought, well, still I'm not not sure about Jesus, really. Um, and so what happened was that I again deducted. That when Jesus died, um, there were people being born and dying in Australia and all over the world, with different people. Mm. So the number of people in the world was fluctuating. And it always is and so on. So yeah. when it says he died for the world, this is a concept of total rather than exact number one, two, five, you know, whatever on that day. Yeah. So so basically. I reduced it down to so there's a, a world with only Israel and only um, Calvary there. And there was 200 of us around. And Jesus said, I'm still going to, oh, he'd still do it. Okay. Down to 20. Oh, I'm still there standing because there's something happened in the world that everybody else is dead and I'm okay. I'm alive at the cross. Would you go ahead with it just because there's only 20? Mm -hmm. You can see where this is leading. So that's for me. This is kind of a, sorry, this is kind of your thoughts, just processing. Your, it's not like a Damascus Road conversion, which no. I, I know some of the amazing ways that the Lord's used you, and we might get onto some of them in a minute. But uh, when I hear those stories, I think, oh, maybe your conversion was Pauline in character, bright, shining lights from the sky. But this is much more you just thinking it through logically and, and going, hang on, we're, I guess we're going down towards if it was just me left. And he would die for me. Yeah. And um, then, in fact, this happened to us once. But um, if 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 you had a if somebody saw you in the middle of a road or walking out into the traffic, and they saw your danger and they pushed you out of the way, and they themselves were killed as a result of that, but you were saved, would you just walk on and say, "Well, I didn't know I was in trouble"? Would you say, well, I didn't know the person who gave themselves to me? Or would you would you would you go to the funeral of the person who died? Would you go and you know be there grieving and uh you know grateful or not grateful? Yeah, grateful. Hmm. Or would you um would you say, well, uh, you know, uh, that's tough, or, or after the funeral, would you then go to meet the family and see what the person really would have wanted to do with their lives if hmm. they could have lived further? Hmm. So my responsibility then was to carry out the work of Jesus, because if he died for me, I now live because he died. I can carry on the life he gave me. Wow. Wow. And this was all at your age, about 16, 17 at the time. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. And so what changed from that decision moment? Did anything change or was it just carrying on with life a little bit more? 
oh no 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 and, and um, to, to me it was a it was an all or nothing commitment i i couldn't see the point in being half-hearted mm-hmm. yeah it's just you know there's no point because yeah um and this this came up recently um with the lectures we've been having and, and debates on the uh, foundations of human sexuality. And one person spoke um, and she was lovely and she just basically Becky. And she said, I think to me, her life was sold out. And I spell the word sold S O U L D. Yeah. There's a sold sign on, on, you know, yeah. she, she's now taken over. She's now possessed by someone else. Mm. Mm. Again, playing the, I love playing with words and, yeah, because uh, I think we often say that you know, all to Jesus I surrender, but I'll keep a bit for myself. And and I'm not we do, but the principle should be, and we're not for sale. We've been sold. Yeah, yeah, it's a hundred percent. I I think the only way to be more dissatisfied um, would be to be half for the Lord and half for yourself. It, it's not the path to fulfilment, is it? The Lord's died for us. Everything we have is because of him. And he not only that, but he's made us in his image. So we've been yes. created for the very yes. purpose of showing God's glory wherever we go. You can't half do that. It's like, I'm going to half clean my windows, only clean the outside, but not the inside. It's not It's not going to mean we're fulfilled living for the Lord. We're just going to be miserable yes. trying yes. to live for him without his power. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And yet we do it. And I, the reason I'm saying this is to encourage us. Um, are you ready? The to me another thought, uh, more and more, is the Garden of Eden. Hmm. Okay, and he said, God said to the man, you know, you can eat of any tree, but not that one. Okay, yeah. so, okay, Lord, I, can I have a banana? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Can I have a grape? Yeah, go ahead. An orange? Yeah, yeah. You can eat of any tree, mate. Are they all your will? Yeah. You mean I can eat a banana and it becomes your will? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can eat an orange and it becomes your will? Yeah. Yeah. We often believe that there's God's choice and, uh, or, 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 yeah, there is his will mm-hmm. and there's another breadth of his will. Yeah. And I think he, he knows the heart rather than the total head. It's freedom, isn't it? What you're talking about is within the Garden of Eden, there's freedom. As long as you're within these boundaries, and you're following this, then there's freedom to do whatever you find yourself to do. Enjoy whatever you find yourself to enjoy within these boundaries. So when you made this final, this this sounds like a kind of final decision, a lifelong decision. Lord, I'm going to live for you. Um, you'd obviously grown up in church. Had you chosen to follow the Lord when you were younger? Is there anything in your life from early days? Or was it just you went to church because your parents made you? And that that's that's just what you did as a family you didn't know any different enjoyed it you know and i i and um, when we used to go around house to house giving out uh kind of little little envelopes for missionaries to you know and so on and uh, all sorts of stuff like this um quite enjoyed it all but it wasn't my choice in the sense yeah. of yeah and yeah, i had good parents and yeah mm. uh, in fact wrong or right it didn't take me too long to realize that if you did wrong, the consequences were much more disproportionate than if you pretended to be good. Yeah. Is this, uh, is this part of being a pastor's kid where people are looking on you? Was it your parents' discipline? What were the elements that brought you to that place? 
Well, it was, you know, my, my parents did say to me, um, you know, if, if you don't um, toe the line and we're meant to be the leaders, then it doesn't look good. And it's yeah. fact, you know, it's pressure. But there, there is in Titus and Timothy two instructions which we don't often uphold. And I'm not saying we've got to be perfect about mm. it. It didn't say if you have children who are not perfect, you shouldn't be a leader. Yeah, the elders and deacons must have children who are respectful and can listen. Um, One of them says believers, be yeah. believers. But, you know, not, I think it's a general concept of, um, yeah, um, of, of honouring your parents. In fact, yeah, that leads me on to one thing that might be useful. Because uh, we're talking about family, aren't we, and parents and things? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and I want your feedback on this from a Jewish viewpoint. Um, have you noticed the symmetry of the last five commandments? And this will teach you to remember the, the commandments in order, if you want to know them. But what, the worst thing you can do for in social life is kill somebody. Hmm. That's what number six is. Yeah. Kill. And at least it's difficult to hide a murder. Very difficult. Somebody's bumped off. They're, they're usually missed. Hmm. Okay. The next one, antisocial thing, is committing adultery. You're stealing somebody else's wife, whatever. And yeah. at least one person knows about it. Hmm. It's difficult to hide, you know. The next one, that's number seven. The next one is, is most difficult. I'm coming, by the way, into family in a minute. Yeah. Um, the next one that's interesting is the stealing. Yeah. So if I've got an apple tree and you nick my apple... So long as I've got enough apples left, I may not notice that on me, and you, you, took, you, you took it. So you can get away with stealing. Difficult to get away with murder. You know, almost impossible. Impossible to get away with adultery. Okay, but but it's it's not as, to me, long-term significance as killing. Hmm. And you can get away with stealing, so long as you don't know what I've done. Mm-hmm. And then the next one is bearing false witness. Now, by the way, that was eight. Number, number nine is uh, false witness. Yeah. So long as you don't know what I'm telling you is not true, sometimes it doesn't hurt anybody. What, what's, what's the, what, does, what does it matter? And then the next one is covered, and that's deep inside. And you just don't know that I wish I had, uh, you know, your house, your car, your, I don't know, been a successful. I'm just not happy with my lot, but I, I just wish I was, you know, just not being, just basically coveting what is not yours. Yeah. Now, turn it on its head, you don't know a person's coveting because they don't usually change colour or say anything. You don't need to do anything. It's deep inside, right? Mm -hmm. The first commandment is love God with all your heart. You put it first. Nice. And people say, well, my religion is my own feeling and so on. And, you know, um, um, you keep yours to yourself. I've got mine. You keep yours. And we're okay. And um, I don't want to discuss it anymore. Thank you. So you can actually hide your love for God by coveting deep inside. Mm. Okay. Now, if you then want to build um, uh, uh, an image of God or uh, whatever, you are basically um, 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 telling a lie. So number nine commandment, uh, number 10 is like number one. Yeah. Number nine is like number two. Yeah. Got it? We're following. We're following. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, uh, 
Um, it, you can have an idol. It, it may be a television. It may be something else. And nobody's going to know about it necessarily if you hide it well enough. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, um, the, the, the next one was stealing. And the next one was to actually uh, take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Yeah. You're stealing God's glory. Mm -hmm. Nicking what is not yours. It's yeah. his. Um, and mis mis misusing it, basically. Uh, uh, taking away what, from what is really pure. Anyway, there's that. So number eight is number three. Then the next one is he's keeping, this, he's keeping the Sabbath day. Now, that means separating yourself. And that's what you do when you marry. Wow, amazing. Committing yeah. adultery is parallel to Sabbath. It's, you know, you are now, you're meant to be yeah, dedicated to the one person. And um, and uh, to keep a Sabbath, I think personally, there's a Sabbath that's every day for each one of us now in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Hebrews tends to say there is now a Sabbath day, you know, for those in Christ. Okay, or not Sabbath day, Sabbath, it says. Yeah. So that's that. So you're now left with number uh number five commandment, which is honor your father. Honor your parents or whatever. And basically, if if you don't do that, in fact, this is coming strongly, this is why I wanted to show. Um, you end up with killing the family. Hmm. Yeah. Destroying it. Yeah. And if if basically if the families in the church can be destroyed, the church is weakened, if not killed. Hmm. So number killing is six, five. Now, some people divide the Ten Commandments into four and six. But the one that's only gone, the one with the promise is number five. Hmm. And it says, if you obey your parents, your life will be long in the land you're given. Well, that means if you don't only respect your parents, whatever, whatever, your life will be shortened. Yeah. That's the converse logic. Shortening life is killing it. Yeah. Well, well. And now you know all the Ten Commandments in order and so on. Wow, that's amazing. That's symmetry between it. And I guess in the world we're living in, the family unit is is really under attack. Uh, that there's a an onslaught, really, of children being taught to dishonour their parents. I, I think uh, we were talking with some people about Peppa Pig, which right from the earliest age, Peppa Pig's really quite rude to her father at times. And you're like, ah. Who's running this household here? I know Peppa Pig is the name of the TV show, but she also seems to be the one who runs the whole household and tells her dad what to do and bosses him around and mother in a similar way. Are, are you seeing over your years, and I'm not going to give away how old you are, but just to say you are, you're older than me by a few decades, I think, <laughs> to say, um, are you seeing a shift in family in, over this time? I'm happy to rejoice in 77 this year. Oh, amazing. Wow. Okay. So, but, but I mean, I, I, I'm grateful for it. You know, I, I'm not bothered about the, I mean, I didn't give myself time. God did. Yes. Yes. I, 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 I feel that we have now latched into pleasure being more important than purpose. Wow. Pleasure can be something that makes you feel good. It's not necessarily pleasure land you know whatever that means um you know it's not necessarily just fun it's actually if you want to do it do it mm. um that's the way you're made so just do it whereas family is about purpose the parents are there to raise the children in godliness children are there to honor their parents and learn that's that that's part of the purpose of family isn't that stable background for children to grow and it's not always 
pleasurable. Sometimes it's hard work. Yes. Yes. Recently, I've been thinking, I don't know if I shared this with you, Ollie, but mm. if you look at a work of art like a Rembrandt, its primary purpose, it, 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 sorry, Rembrandt didn't do it overnight. It took hours. Beethoven didn't compose just quickly a symphony. It took hours. And just because you need to work, say, at marriage or relationships doesn't mean to say it's wrong. In fact, something beautiful can come out of the effort. Mm. Yeah. But we often think the effort is sterile. Mm. And so you've gone from having this wonderful upbringing that you've had, as we've been talking about family and it's been changing over this time, but um, you've had this really privileged upbringing. You made a decision to wholeheartedly follow the Lord in your teenage years. Tell us how life panned out from then. Uh, did, did church suddenly come more alive to you? Did you understand the things that were happening um, in the in the church setting more? Did did the faith of Smith Wigglesworth that we'll come and talk about in a bit? Did you suddenly feel something stirring inside of you? This faith in God who can do absolutely anything. And um, the answer is no, um, but it was different in the sense that, as I said, my parents didn't push it. And um, we didn't get people coming up and say, oh, you know, you're Smith Wigglesworth's grandson and this kind of thing. I, I wasn't aware of that at all. But what I was aware of was the testimony of my dad and others around. And that intrigued me. I, I liked the I liked the supernatural. Hmm. Um, it, it, supernatural sounds as though uh, it's spooky, but it's supernatural. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's where the natural takes on another dimension that you don't yeah. expect. And so I used to do silly things like, you know, I began to obviously I knew that if I was a, a, a Christian, I needed to commit myself to the group, whatever that is. And if there was, say, for instance, a youth group on a Friday night, say, or or some people going witnessing on the street or even me just by myself, I'd say, Lord, I can't cope with this. I don't know what your will is. I have no idea. Um, I can't do both. So if you send a red bus, I'll go to the youth group. If you send a green one next, because there were two colour buses on the on the route, I'll I'll take it because I felt God could st steer it around the corner before it gets to me, um, and I wasn't in charge of that. Therefore, I was kind of leaving it to be something that might happen rather than my knowledge or anything like that. Mm. And I think that that's the childlikeness that God wants. Mm. Uh, you don't need to have a theology degree before you can trust God. Mm. I don't think you need a a, a, a full relationship, meaning you know, it's it's a developing one. And I said to somebody that it's a bit like a blind date. Not that I've had, I don't think I've ever had one, but never. But it, it's I can imagine that you're meeting a God you don't know about, and the relationship mm. isn't yet there. Um, and so. I, th I think we've got to let the kids do. I think this is where you, you do well um, in your ministry, in children's ministry, mm. is you give the kids a, a chance to be simple in their accuracy of belief. Yeah, mm. not just belief, but have a go at throwing it at a dartboard and seeing what happens. What number do you score? You, you must have had examples of that yourself in your childhood, even before you'd made this kind of 100% decision for the Lord. You must have. I'm saying you must have. I don't. I don't know. You must have seen examples of miraculous healings before your eyes and God moving in in that kind of way. No, no. Um, we had one or two times when 
Uh, I'll use the word apparently the Holy Spirit was in a service, but my dad was very strict. And if he felt something was out of order, he would say, brother, would you please uh, um, sit down now? I think you said enough. And um, and and I think probably dad was right because I'll say it. I think you can get away sometimes with prof prophetic murder. <laughs> so, so another, you know, and it's not the Lord. In the, in the Old Testament, over and over again, God said, look, you say that, so the Lord, but I haven't said it. Hmm. And I don't like it because my name is being diluted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so no is the answer. I think, yeah. One one story, um, which again, yeah, this is interesting because I now call myself retimed as compared to retired. And when my dad retired, he felt God had called him into the ministry, having had a secular job for before that. And then he retired out at sixty-five. That was the standard stuff. Hmm. And I I agree. There's nothing in the scripture about you being called in, then called out, and retirement and pension yeah. out. Yeah. And there was a church which had about, I would say, eight or nine um, ex, I'll say, Elim ministers who'd retired. They've all passed on now, as so I can say it easily. And they used to sit at the back of the church and grumble. There too many songs, too many this, too much clapping, too much this. You know, even though they themselves were more liberated in the Elim church, Pentecostal church, than others. But one day, Dad had two builders at home. And they came to the house and um, they asked him a question because he was a reverend and he answered it well. And then they asked him more questions. Eventually, those two became, uh, they committed their life to, to God through Christ, right? Then they went and they, I think it was about 35 of their family in the end, just because of that. And my um, and they were going, uh, all these people coming in, they've been baptized all every other week. On, well, I'm, you know, don't take me literally on that, but regularly wow. to a degree that. The, their friends were all coming in, seeing what was going on, and they were when they were going through baptism, they were wolf whistling and you know kind of thing. And and uh, the minister had to say to them, "Look, it's not quite, it's not, it's not really a, a wolf whistle occasion." Really. <laughs> and, and my dad then was saying, "It's okay, don't let them wolf whistle. That's fine." So yeah. for having been a a, a back a back pew moaner, he then suddenly saw the spirit working in his life, and that rejuvenated him. Wow! Wow! It can happen Amazing. to anybody. Amazing. You know, we can all slip. Yeah. So let, let's just keep, keep moving through your life a little bit. You grew up from teenage years, obviously mm -hmm. now with the Lord in there. Are there any memorable moments as you've grown older? Any particular stories you want to tell of the things you've seen the Lord do or any um, kind of life lessons you've learned along the way? Gosh, how interesting. Um I'll answer your question in a second. Pull me up if I don't. Mm -hmm. A moment ago, you and I were discussing things. I was talking about Smith Wiggles, books on Smith Wigglesworth and how yeah. I put little tags in here. Um, and I don't do it now so much, but when over many years I kept diaries of the everything. Didn't write in every day, but... Um, these are my diaries. Going back, you've got 1982, 83, and so on and so on. So I'm going right back to 70s. Okay. And here, I've been now going through them again. And you can see maybe the colors of the tags on there. I don't know if you can. And again, when God does something and marvelous, I would write it down. So 
I just thought a bit of fun. I don't know if this would be of an enjoyment to you. Do you want to shout? Actually, yeah, you could shout any diary you want from 82 to 8. I mean, I only just, there's a whole load upstairs. 81 to 80. What's this one? 80. No, 80 to 83. You could shout a diary and then I can go and look for a red tag to see what God did. Okay, let's go for 1982. 82? I thought it was a bit of fun. Yeah, for one number. The reason I'm saying this is when our children and adults, when we when we pray, why not why not write your prayer down? You know, because what you read in the in the Bible often is where people prayed and their prayers were answered. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't write them down, you'd have never known about that. Yeah. And they didn't have um appointment diaries like we've got, they didn't have biros, you know. So I'm just gonna I've no idea what's coming up. And by the way, if it's private at all i probably won't say it but um here we go <laughs> oh this is the reunion of my year at university in march 27 <laughs> met a consultant uh, or, 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 or oral surgeon's wife he was a lawyer who was concerned about marital breakdown and a spiritual need was acknowledged. Five minutes later, she was having a disagreement with the dean. <laughs> um, I was able to smile at her and encourage her. Um, and somebody else, Stephanie's nice husband, disillusioned with life, seeking God, not found. That basically, that evening was packed with com- um, with meeting people who I felt were um, yeah lo- <laughs> loose ends. And the reason I like that word is not in a loose and nasty word, but I, I don't know if I said it already, but I feel my life is a tapestry. I I so often see it linking up years later with other things. And it's as if God's set it up. <laughs> yes. And um, so making a note of the significant little things that seem to happen that were slightly unusual and putting them down uh, is important. Don't know if I'm answering any question there. What was your question? Well, I'm just asking for stories of from your life of how ways you've seen God move, things that you've seen the Lord do. And I think I think you are answering it with this this idea that the Lord is over every detail over time, and that things that have happened at one point in the past then begin to weave into things that are happening. That that whole picture of a tapestry is beautiful along the way. And I think a lot of people would relate to that. There are sometimes things that happen that we don't really understand at all at the time. Yeah. But you look back 10 years and you go, wow, thank God that happened. Yeah. Because that led to this, led to this, led to this, which was a huge part of God's plan. But at the time, it just looked like another thing. And I think I said to you at the beginning, my mind does go in all sorts of directions. I'm going to come back to tapestry in a minute. But I like to consider the idea of a three-dimensional tapestry. We often think of tapestry a bit like a cloth. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. And often if you turn a tapestry around, you see the loose ends. But those loose ends in God's sight often form another picture. And I don't think that even 3D is right. I think multi-dimensional, God's multidimensional. Hmm. Uh, and we're not allowed to know that. Well, not to know what, he, what he's doing, really, in that sense. Yeah. So, um, in fact, when we went to Israel recently, I shared with a rabbi guy. Um, yeah, this is last year. We went to Israel for our 50th wedding anniversary. Um, and I met a guy there, and I just felt I had to talk with him. 
and he was a rabbi. And um, I, we went to, I, we went away to our session, and he was still he was sitting downstairs in the foyer talking to two younger ladies. And it turns out that um, I said, "Can I join you for a minute?" He said, "Yeah." And I said to him, because I didn't know what to say, um, Rabbi, can you tell me your favorite verse in the Bible? And when I when I said it, I thought it was quite a good lead-in. You know, it's quite a good uh, chat-up line for a rabbi because <laughs> it's got to go somewhere. <laughs> and um, he shared with me something, and I, I, it was something from the the Torah, but I, I couldn't understand it at all. Anyway, I said, "Can I share something with you?" He said, "Yeah." And this is something I made up about a year ago that might be of interest, again, to the families, might be listening or you know, parents. And I said, um, your life is like a picture. And I mean, just as now I'm looking at the TV screen on the laptop and you're looking at me and there's all sorts going on. We each one see it differently. Um, sometimes life doesn't make sense. It seems to be fragmented as a picture. It looks a bit broken. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't fit doesn't feel comfortable, but when we live it, we have to live it. So it's like a jigsaw sometimes. It's a bit broken. You know, it really, you feel it should fit together, but it's not. Hmm. And I, I said, look, can I just say to you that, uh, think of a, a, a jigsaw. Most of us, and I think this is universal, because I assumed in Israel they do the same. Um, we put the edges in first, because you know the straight edges, you've got 25% uh, knowledge. The corners you've got fifty percent knowledge of, so you put those into place, right? Okay, and there's the so the first edge of your um, uh, of your picture is your your beginning, your conception. T tell me about your conception. You can't. Now, but this is an important edge. Yeah, very important edge. Without it, you ain't there. Mm. Okay, so you, you can't do that. Now you'll do this. It'll probably equally speaking you may not know about and it may be beyond your capacity at all to know about so you've got two edges have gone of this picture you're left with now the top and the bottom and a fragmented bit in the middle not looking too good do you really want to know um sometimes the the, the things around you you know the, the next little bits imminently for you probably not if you knew about, if God sent you a telegram or a message and said, your illness is in the future, Ollie, are going to be this, 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 and your problems are going to be this, this, you said, enough, enough, I don't know, no. I can just cope for the moment, you know, leave it. And that's the point. You, he says to us, just look at the picture that's broken. Try and put in the picture piece you've got in your hand that you're in control of. Hmm. Try and get it adjusted. And by the way, I'm behind it all anyway. So it's three-dimensional. I'll guide you. If you get the picture slightly squiffy, I'll, I'll, I'll correct it for you. Yeah. And um, so basically, don't try and look at the beginning and the end of the day to look at today's picture. And one of the young ladies said, that is incredible. I said, what do you mean incredible? Incredible. I said, well, what? She said, well, my friend here, have you just been talking with a rabbi? Because my friend has got a paranoia about the future. Total <laughs> paranoia. You've just taken the future away. Huh. Wow. And we're still in contact with the rabbi now. Wow. And you, th this theme of Judaism has come through all that you've been talking about. You went to a synagogue when you were in those kind of early days of seeking the Lord. You're in Israel. You're meeting with rabbis. Where do you see the place of Israel and the hand of the Lord on Israel today? Uh, again, I'm going to 
answer in a broader sense, I think that mm -hmm. there's no doubt to me they are God's very special chosen people, but that is with the added responsibility, which um, in, in the nicest way I wouldn't necessarily want. Yeah. You know, responsibility is, 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 it can be a burden. It's okay, as long as there's the benefit comes with it, which it would do from God. Yeah, that, um, so stories, I do see them. Pardon? There are stories of some in the time of the Holocaust, the Jewish people going, we don't want to be God's chosen people because that burden that you're talking about, they, they were on the acute edge of it at that time. And they understood the cost of being his chosen people in a world that was rejecting him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you've asked me the question. When I, when I, so I still feel that we need to reach the Jewish people, but but no difference really personally to a Gentile. Mm -hmm. I do feel that they are the um, main stock of God's life and spiritual life on the earth. And we're grafted in. Mm. But then... We are, um, we can benefit from that, and that's okay, I think. Is that uh, it's it's yeah, um, so I haven't really answered your question in the sense of, um, sp I, I, t I tend to just take each day as it goes. Um, are you happy for me to give you another story? Yes, okay. Now, years ago, our children, um, went to well we used to go down to the beach because we hadn't got much money and it, but we're lovely beach nearby come on you know you don't need to spend to go abroad so we used to go down we used to in our way pray for our car parking place and things because i felt god could do that and so on anyway we one day were on the beach at sandbanks and um a um i decided to build a sandcastle for um our family a big one i always used to go down with a garden spade not a little diddy one because i wanted to get things done and big if, if you're going to so do I, a sandcastle, do it properly. That's what you're saying. Yeah. None of this yeah. half-hearted little bucket thing. You you want yeah. the full-on. Yeah. 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 And what happened was that um, it was it was a dome shape. And I thought, well, that's okay. Dome shape, very nice. So, so we got a frisbee and I put frisbee marks all the way around it. So it was dome and with circles all around it. And then a shadow came by and, uh, and they said, and a couple said, or one man said, what is that? And the, it was lovely afternoon and the water was nearby and so on. I, I stood up and I said, well, what would you like it to be? And um, I didn't know because I, I thought, well, if I say it's a sandcastle, I'm saying, you stupid man, can you not say it's a sandcastle? If I said it's an intergalactic something or other, I'm, I'm showing superiority that is not there, you know, I'm just making a sandcastle. And bit of fun. So would you like it to be? You can make it. You can say what you. I just it can be anything you want. <laughs> and and they and I didn't know this, but later we found out they were into what we call transactional analysis with I'm okay, you're okay, and so on. And the inviting them in treated them like equals and and friends. Wow. And they said to us, um, "Oh, um, we'll see you tomorrow." You see, and they had a flat down at Sandbank, and I guess they were Jewish. And they, what happened was then that. Um, uh, we, overnight, our eldest developed chickenpox. Their kids were at paid school, and the incubation period would mean that their kids would just be going back to school when the spots would come out. Yeah. So we thought, well, we'll keep away from everybody on the beach. I'm sure that's okay, and just do our own thing in the sea and yeah, play cleaners anywhere. So yeah. anyway, um, they welcomed us the next day, and I said, no, I think we we're not uh, <laughs> we're not clean. You see. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? I said, well, 
develop chickenpox overnight. Oh, so they went away and uh, they came back and they said, we're going to take a risk on it. <laughs> We'd like to be your friends, you see, so it's fine. And um, then they invited us to their home, which was a, a kosher flat in Bournemouth. Yeah. And um, and I said to do that, oh, I just want to be free to share Jesus with them. Mm. And they said, you know, because they knew by now, faith and so on. And uh, um, they said, would you would you share about your faith and belief? I said, no, I should do. I said, but what I do believe is that Jewish people, you pray to God, the same God. And I believe God can answer your prayer, does answer your prayers. Hmm. What you do is I'll swap you. I'll tell you a couple of answers to prayer if you tell me a couple of yours. So I shared a couple and I said, right, you'll go. Well, we have got a thing like that. You know? So anyway, we had a long friendship. It lasted many 10, 15 years. Hmm. And um, we went to their bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs in London. And uh, that was that. One day, a guy called Michael Brown from Pensacola. Mm-hmm. You heard? Okay. Yeah. He was speaking in Swanage. And he'd heard about Smith Wigglesworth, me, and so on. So he said, can I, you know, say something? So we drove over on a Friday night to Swanage, to the, wherever it was, the church there. And I met him, and he was a lovely guy, Jewish. Uh, his dad was a Jewish lawyer. He, he was obviously a very keen, filled with the spirit person. So anyway, I just thought, oh, he's Jewish, you know, come on. I'd love my friend to um, to come. So I said to two people who were in the car with us, that's three of us all together, Judith and I and two other friends, oh, it'd be lovely if uh, I could take Robert uh, Rainsbury to, uh, the, uh, to meet him. But, they, you know, that was that. I didn't know where they were. No idea. And anyway, I got back to our house and th- this couple we've always been down to sandbags they've never been to our house the letter on the door on the doorstep saying dear henry we're in the area can we meet up <laughs> so i said to robert hey we are um you know uh, you owe me three or four or five because we've done all your synagogue bits now there's something that will blow your mind there'll be dancing and speaking in tongues there'll be everything going on there um but you can cope and so <laughs> he came along and it turns out that rabbi sylvester jacobs was the um, was the um, likely to be chief rabbi at one stage, and that he was their rabbi in the Masoretic Synagogue in North London in Hendon. Right. Anyway, and it turns out that his Michael Brown's father was best friends with this um, Sylvester Jacobs. So Michael signed all his books, including High Voltage Christianity, a whole yeah. load of them, and gave them, and that then went to the nearly the chief rabbi of Britain. Wow. You know, wow. You, I mean, from a sandcastle to a tower. That's amazing. And it's just the Lord, you being open to the Lord in that moment and the wisdom. And, and I guess with all of this, you're you're modelling normal Christianity to your children as well. They grew up seeing this um, and seeing this is, this is what it looks like to follow the Lord. This is what it looks like to be with him. But, and I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about Smith Wigglesworth. I'm sure everybody who meets you um, who's heard of Smith Wigglesworth is is kind of gleaning from you. And obviously we've written a book about his life. One of our God's Journals for Kids series is uh, all about Smith Wigglesworth. Do you have some great family stories, those inside things that would be passed down to you um, of the kind of things that the Lord was using him for, things that you saw him do, or the kind of man he was? Well, I was um, one, if that, when he 
died. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, he could well have been at Bambat baptism or not baptism, um, a dedication service. Yeah. I don't know. So that's tenuous. As I say, I do know a lot of the next generation, including my mum, obviously, who, who knew him well. Mm. Um, so I've got nothing for first hand. And again, I, I tend, and I think Grandpa, I, I got this feeling um, that he would have wanted his ministry, again, to focus back to the Father through Jesus all the time, um, rather than on him, and for people to um, be themselves as he was before the Lord committed 100%. Yeah. And that doesn't really help you. So the answer is I've not seen any miracles of his. Um, grew up in the families where we trusted God on many things. In Again, my parents were, um, what's the best expression? Just, just faithful. And was it your um, father who was related to Smith Wigglesworth? No, my or, mother. Your yeah. mother. Okay, yeah. on your mother's side, yeah. And I, I love uh, the quote, which we have in our book of Smith Wigglesworth, towards the end of his life in that last week, he's receiving letters from all over the world of people yep. inviting him to come and speak and share the gospel yep. there. And yep. uh, his response is, woe is me, for people are looking to me, not to the Lord. Yes. And the Lord yes. will never share his glory with another. I yes. think my time on earth must now be done. And yep. I, I just love that kind of humility yep. of this is you can see all his life it was all about making jesus known not about making smith wigglesworth's ministry sing but making people see and know and revealing the lord to them um, yes he didn't want the spotlight on on himself at all that's right and and i think my mum also was inclined that way of uh, letting what's the best expression uh just doing that's not the right word doing her own thing but mm. doing the same thing herself rather than his thing herself yeah. and i don't know if i told you about the uh, funeral i think i might have when mum died mm. um this is slightly off what you're saying because you're saying any memories and so on because mm. when mum was she was 102 when she died wow. and um i said to her one day is there anything that you could share with me that nobody else knows about at your funeral and so uh, she said, well, yeah, she said there's one thing. When she was younger, a uh, teenager, I think it was, she was going down to Liverpool, sorry, from Liverpool to London with great-grandpa, and they sat on the train together, and great-grandpa passed his Bible to her and asked her to thumb through the pages of this brand-new Bible so when he preached from them, they wouldn't stick together. Mm-hmm. So Mama's passed away, and we're preparing for the funeral at St John's at Wimborne and so on, and... Um, two things happened i thought well you know uh, um it, that's her bible i'll probably put her thumb through big thick thumb through bible you know her mm. uh, mum's bible on the coffin and um the telephone rings and it's andrew white again because his Can, grandpa Can and andrew was, white the vicar of baghdad yes uh, yeah. yes and his grandpa was my great grandpa's assistant so his his grandpa was smith wigglesworth's assistant Mm-hmm. And a couple of moves, and the Smith, one of Smith Wigglesworth's Bibles, or the the one I don't know, passed on to his grandpa, and now is Andrew's. And Andrew takes it round the world with him. Mm. 
And so um, Andrew rang and said, how's Amelia? I said, oh, she's passed away. Oh, can I come to the funeral? I said, of course you can. And by the way, we want somebody to do the prayers and so on. Well, and could you bring great grandpa's Bible with you? Mm -hmm. So on the coffin in the church, there were two huge Bibles, all thumbed through. Mm -hmm. And so when I gave the eulogy, I was able to say, look, there's something that probably nobody else here knows, not family, anybody. Yeah. that mum shared with me. And that is that once she was traveling and she had to thumb through the pages. Now, it isn't necessarily the same Bible. Yeah. It's not impossible that it is the same Bible that she thumbed through. Mm. And, and so, you you know, you leave this kind of um, huge story. It's not story. Message is the word of grandpa thumb through Bible used and so on, which he was here is. And then Amelia's. And the next thing is, to me, the extrapolation is, what about next generation? Hmm. Well, that, that's why I wanted to take our conversation next, into, is into that next generation, because yep. you've obviously got this wonderful heritage. And if uh, you're listening to this and you've never heard of Smith Wigglesworth, I encourage you, go read about his life. Find out how the Lord used him. Really, yep. it was a, a remarkable life sold out to the Lord. Yep. Um, and uh, we, we need many more like him raised up, I would say, in our time more than ever and i think we can look at the future generation um and for some it could be with despair there's a lot of things that are not going great in our world at the moment and in our nation but um the lord's also moving and i, I wondered if you had anything prophetic to speak into this generation coming up um perhaps something for us as parents specifically what should we be sowing into our children in preparation for these days Okay, I'm speaking off the cuff. Um, recently, I started to share with my grandchildren and my children again the stories that are my testimony. Mm. Um, I'll share one with you now. Can I? Are we okay on time? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, okay. Um, to me, this was a very emphatic one, um, and it comes back to what you were saying there. Hope I don't lose my thread. So um, we used to go skiing with a group of Christians, usually about 30 or 40 of us. We sometimes hired a scripture union chalet in Chateau Day in Switzerland. And, and we, we just each year we'd meet up about October time and we would book for just after Christmas to go skiing. Loved it. Um, we'd gone from scratch, you know, learning and so on. So anyway, it turns out that um, I was praying in the October time. And I just felt God say, don't go skiing this year. And the arrangement I had in my business was that if God, um, uh, sorry, um, um, if I was, sorry, God, if I was at work, staff needed to be at work. So we tried to coordinate all oh, There's no point me being at work and no staff to support me. No point them being there at work when I'm away either. It, it, yeah. So, and it worked, it worked, it worked, it worked. And the staff themselves have started skiing, their families. And I thought, well, if God's saying, I want you to work over Christmas time, I'm going to be, popular as nothing you know um and if i say it's god that's even going to be more wacky <laughs> uh, you know uh, so anyway it turns out that i i had the courage of my convictions and i said to the group I'm, we're not going and, and i don't know why i just feel god said don't and um so anyway as a result i decided to buy a table tennis table um which we fitted in this room that i'm in here mm. and um anyway jonathan my middle one's very athletic and you know did lots of uh, activities and um, he was, we were playing table tennis, and I'm not good. And he said, Daddy, I, I'm, I'm dizzy. 
And I said, oh, right, okay. So I thought it was a bit odd because he's not normally at all like that. And then we made a big bed up in the upstairs. I made a huge bed so that uh, something I remembered from my grandpa, Seth, and Granny, that's Smith's son, um, was that they used to have morning tea. And as, as a kid, I can remember getting into their nice, warm, comfy bed as a, as a grandkid. Anyway, our children used to come into bed with us for morning tea each morning. Mm-hmm. And on Boxing Day, John B. got into bed and pulled up his, uh, um, uh, in fact, no, which day was no, the day after Boxing Day, because on Boxing Day he fell to see. Um, and he said, um, Daddy, look at the ink on my legs. And so I said, no, look. And there's a, a, a large bruise going from just below his knee, right the way down to his ankle, beginning wow. with a straight line at the top. And I thought, well, you, you bashed yourself. What have you done? No, no, I haven't. And, and then I eventually found that he had tripped over a bit of soft duck wire that we have duck. We had ducks. And, you know, he wouldn't do anything to your leg at all. Mm. So I said, take your, take your pyjamas off and take your you know, top off as well. And he was covered in bruises and what we call petiki, mm. petiki, eh? And, um, and I knew that wasn't good because yeah. sudden bruising in a child can be an indication of acute leukemia. Yeah. And anyway, um, I, um, I I thought, well, you know, let's get you down to the doctors. So we took him down to the doctors and he's passing blood in the urine. And why did uh, the doctor look at you like that, Daddy? I said, well, it's not, you're not, you're not right. We'll pop you into hospital, have a check. Oh, I don't want to go to the hospital. I said, well, if a car's not working properly, you take it to the garage. And the hospital's like a human garage. It's the way you get sorted and so on. Not, I hadn't shared with anybody else about this um, um my knowledge of the acute leukemia and he could be dead in three days hmm. you know so anyway um we went down the pool hospital and came to us after about an hour having the blood tests they said well there's good news and bad news i said well what's the good news they said well it's not acute leukemia i thought what is it i should know that and um it was something called you'll know Ali, but idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura we call it itp the short and we were told to learn it for finals and then forget it because it's not going to come your way anyway. So, you know, but if you took a tooth out on somebody who had that, they could bleed badly. Mm. And um, anyway, the pediatrician, Jeremy Cogswell, who I also knew as a patient, um, he came to the ward in, in the children's ward in Poole Hospital and said, uh, good job you don't go skiing. And I hadn't thought about it. I said, why'd you say that? He said, well, people go skiing at this time of the year. I thought, yes, okay. He said, if you've been at altitude, the difference in pressure could have caused intracranial hemorrhage. And the most common cause of real complications is intracranial hemorrhage for ITP. And he said, um, if also he's a boisterous guy and he bashed himself down the hills, he might have bled internal and nobody would know what's going on. Wow. And his limit, I think he was supposed to be having a hundred and what was it? Uh, it was it was one hundred and fifty. I forget now. Uh, um, yeah, one hundred and fifty. Um, um, the blood count should be one hundred and fifty. Was it erythrocytes? Is it platelets? Not erythrocytes. It's going which one? Platelets. platelets. That's right. Yeah, that, and he was down to five thousand right. compared to one hundred and fifty or so which is an academic thing, because, as you know, they, they put a grid and just estimate from that grid how many probably the average is. Mm-hmm. And, and anyway, basically, um, we realised then that if we'd been skiing, we'd have lost him. Wow. Wow. You know, so listening to God. Um, and also, therefore, I can now share that story with them. And it, you never know what would have happened had I disobeyed. Mm. You just don't know. 
Mm. Um, and so I think, is there anything you can do to the generation coming up? Yeah, I think as they did in the in the um, biblical Old Testament times, especially shared the stories than what God had done. And we, we are, I think, in our generation, distinctly bad at that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just sharing the Old Testament, it's sharing the the now testament ones. And I, I love the fact that you as a grandparent are doing that not just for your children, but your grandchildren as well. So they're hearing grandpa's stories and uh, using that as a seed for their faith that, that God is living. He's real. He's moving today. Uh, he's not just some dusty old book that we read, but he he's actually moving and active in our lives today. Henry, I could talk to you all day. Uh, you, you like this treasure trove of stories and of, well, well, you, you can just see the grace of God on your life and your love for the Lord and his faithfulness to you all through those years in looking yeah. after you and looking after your family, leading you, guiding you. And uh, mm -hmm. from my point of view, I'm so thankful that the Lord gave you a heart for Jewish people and that when you visited an optician, um, that that fateful day about 40 years ago, it would have been roughly, um, you ended up being able to talk about the Lord and him being involved in the FGB MFI. That's, uh, my father was an optician, for those who are listening, and uh, that's that's part of, I, if I remember rightly, there was somebody who came to get their eyes tested. It wasn't you, was it? But they came to get their eyes tested with my dad and then went around all of you and said, go and get your eyes tested with this guy, <laughs> close. <laughs> The Lord is working. You need to go and get your eyes tested with him. That was Clive uh, Williams. Yeah. 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 That's it. And then uh, then uh, yeah. everyone gathered round and <laughs> thanks for that. Get... Father met the Lord and accepted Jesus yeah, as, yeah, as yeah, the Messiah yeah. of the Jewish people. So I'm so thankful for your heritage and for what you've inputted into my heritage along the way, but uh, also for what you've been speaking to us about and encouraging us with our families. Can I share one more thing with you? Or yes, is it gone on too long? Sure, yeah, go for it. Yeah, okay, right. Um, and it came through before. What do, we, what do I share? But one of the things that I'm noticing at the moment is longevity, and I'll change that word to endurance, mm. I'll change that word to durability. And you know, in the Old Testament, how the people's shoes didn't wear out and the clothes didn't wear out, yes, okay. As a joke, imagine Clarks in um, in Egypt, you know, uh, in Cairo, yeah. um, and so on. And basically, forget that. But did they really not wear out? Okay. Now, when we were setting up in business, um, oh, by the way, I'll just jump back. A lot of um, the books about Smith Wigglesworth are about every ever increasing faith, faith that endures, and so on. Okay, if you if you you can see a theme there, there's something about the durability of it. Okay? Yes. So, uh, I'm setting up a dental practice, and um, God has been incredible. Um, I would go into a carpet firm in Wimble, which was near the old market. I felt God say, "Go in there," because I needed a settee, and I thought this is a bit stupid. But I felt God saying, "Do it." So I go in and there's this carpet firm. I said, I know you're a carpet firm, but have you got a settee for sale? No. Nope. I said, well, do you mind if I look? We haven't got a settee for sale. Okay, fine. It's okay if I look. Yeah. So I see a pile of carpets in the uh, in the middle of the room. And I just pull one away and pull away. And I see a bit of chrome. And then I pull away a bit more. There's a settee. So I said, that's what I want. Um, I'll, I'll buy that. It's not for sale. I said, well, yeah, but you didn't even know you got it. 
you know, I'll buy it. He'll give you a five and it's mine. They, they have to get rid of this man. They, he gave, sold it to me. <laughs> so then I get in the car and go down to Ferndown. And um, what happens is that, um, which is, you know, about five miles away, there's a new carpet firm, big one called Carpet Warehouse or something like that. And I went in there. And I also wanted a, a table and chair. So I said, I've come in to buy a table and a chair. You know, we don't sell tables and chairs. We sell, you know, okay, fine. You don't mind if I look. You know? And I walked across a lovely glass top table with chrome legs. And the chrome legs matched the other settee that I got down the road. <laughs> so I was still needing a chair, though. There's no chair. And then I, I got permission to open the door in this huge storeroom, empty, except in the middle is a chair. <laughs> I said, that's the chair, that'll do. And so eventually, again, pretty well to get rid of me, they did that. Okay, so we have friends who came over. We're having something like Saturday afternoon um, discussions. And I was sharing how God had provided. Um, because we were on the shoestring. We really hadn't got the money to do it. Um, uh, we, we converted an old fire station into dental practice. You might have, yes, you probably went to that one, I would have thought. Yeah, anyway. I did. Yeah. So what happened was that uh, I all, I had everything sorted in the practice, except I needed what we call the central suction unit, which is one that sucks the saliva and it drops it into the main strain. It, it's the top of the range I wanted, but um, um, I also wanted a long carriage typewriter. In those days, we had long carriage typewriters. I also wanted a high speed handpiece. In those days, you didn't have lots of equipment. You, you could sterilize one pretty quickly after the other. Hmm. I'd seen an advert for this, uh, for for what for the um, central suction unit, about a month before in the British Dental Journal. I thought, and it said for a price of one amalgam a week, that's an old filling for a week. You can you can take over a lease of this machinery, mm-hmm. and it was a good advert. So I hadn't bothered because somebody would snap it up. It was yeah, it's gem. So my friend said, well, if God's provided on the other, what about this advert? I said. <laughs> So in front of them all, in the, there's about six of them in the, in the lounge. I, I rang this number up. The guy said, well, if you're looking for that, it's, nobody has replied to the advert. So, but I'm in Norwich. There is another snag there, but I'll bring it over to you. He said, I was let down on a business deal. So it's been in my wardrobe. It's almost new. And he said, um, the lease does in, you know, entail a couple of other things. I said, go for it. Well, a long carriage typewriter. <laughs> oh, I know, and I haven't told you the other one. And 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 an X-ray viewer, and I wanted that. And the particular one, um, uh, beryllium X-ray viewer, and also the high-speed handpiece. And that was everything finished. Wow, you know. And um, it was what I'm saying. And those things. This is where we come in. Those items lasted and lasted and lasted and lasted and lasted and lasted. Seriously, as far as I know, none of them wore out. We chucked them. And I gave the table away to my uncle and things like that, but nothing, um, it, it, it was other things did. And there's something I felt that I wanted to share that when God blesses, he often blesses in a durable way. Mm. And I think that, um, yeah, we talk about eternal life and the kingdom of heaven. I think the kingdom of heaven is actually here, mm. you know, um, yeah. uh, 
And when you read about in in the, in the Bible about the uh, the verses in Galatians, uh, just preceding the fruit of the spirit, and also in, in Ephesians about before you talk about the armor of the spirit of God, and it says, and these things are not good, and you won't get you won't enter the kingdom of heaven if you are a gossip, if you are this, hey. Well, there's no room for any of us in heaven if that's the case. Yeah. And, and I think basically the kingdom is where God's spirit is able to work now mm. as well as the future. But don't worry about the future. Worry about the now. Yeah. You know, get yourself engaged and do your best. Choose choose the right fruit. Mm. Beautiful. Really encouraging story for for all of us, Henrietta. Yeah. May we, may we get our own stories uh, I know certainly in the Ministry of Children can what you're talking about is our bread and butter way of living. Um, mm. So we've we've seen the faithfulness of God, and and mm. I'm sure that many people listening will be able to say the same. We've seen the faithfulness of God. I wonder if you'd pray for us all mm. as we bring our time mm. to a close, Henry. Mm. Everlasting Father, we thank you that you don't wear out, mm. and we thank you especially when we as it were, kick and, and break things and um, damage the world you've given us, that you don't give up on us. Lord, help us not to kick, help us not to damage, help us to love you with all our heart, help us to be fully committed. Mm. And we thank you for the choice you've given us to do that, that we're not converted and uh, changed into robots for Jesus. We're converted into those people who can choose and serve. I pray for those people who are listening to this, that you just open up our hearts and make us uh, channels for your children. That means both those who know you and those who don't, especially the children in our family. We pray that you'd give us the inheritance um, that you often promise in the scriptures, those who believe. And help us to follow your pathway and your spirit leading. Again, thank you for the power and the fire of your Holy Spirit. Pray that you'd help us to be powerful and clean in our lives. Yes. Amen. 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 Henry, thank you so much for your time and for sharing everything with us. Uh, it's been great to chat with you. Pleasure. And thank you so much for joining us as well. If you've enjoyed this interview, then don't forget to click the like button and to subscribe to our channel for more interviews like it. We'll see you next time. Bye.